it was supposed to be a half hour uh, get to know you coffee. I thought there's no way I would, you know, invest. And then three hours later, I stumbled out of their Soma uh, office space, you know, and I, I saw that that was, was the future, became tremendously excited about it. And that's when we first invested. I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Sometimes when I'm traveling, I'll tell somebody I'm from Silicon Valley and they'll ask me, what's cool? What's the next big thing? Well, every time I use Planet Labs as the example, that company is so cool. They can measure how much oil is in an oil tank from space. Is that the next biggest, most important company in Silicon Valley? Uh, absolutely. That's Zach Bogue, venture capitalist who invested in Planet Labs. So Planet Labs, these guys invented the field of nanosatellites, uh, and they've launched over 200 of them into orbit, and they now have the capability of taking a snapshot of every square inch of the landmass of the planet every day at 10 a.m. And this is a truly novel data set. And what I think is super cool about it is that, you know, there's obviously, for a long time, there's been Earth observation satellites. And those satellites, you can point them, you know, somewhere on the planet to see what's going to happen tomorrow. You sort of send a command up, and then it will point, take a picture. Whereas with Planet Labs, you can roll the tape back and see what happened anywhere on the planet yesterday. Bogue is managing partner at Data Collective, abbreviated DCVC, and he's invested in all kinds of interesting things, many involving the Earth. Looking at it, growing things from it, saving it. The goal of Planet Labs is to make the world transparent. Uh, so basically produce this novel data set and then just give it, give access to everyone. I think one of the coolest things about it is even Planet Labs doesn't necessarily know what it is they're going to revolutionize. And I'll give you an example of that. And gosh, it's got to be 15, 20 years ago, I was talking with some of the engineers at Garmin. And they had just come out with the handheld GPS receiver. Uh, you know, it wasn't in a car. It ran on batteries. Uh, you could put it on your belt. And they never saw the sport of geocaching coming. Uh, it, it blew them away. They were thrilled. But they couldn't possibly have known somebody would create something out of, you know, a GPS receiver. And I think Planet Labs is the same way. There will be things, sciences, skill sets that are going to be created if we can look at everything on the planet, you know, once a day that we don't even know exist. Absolutely. 
uh, as this broad coverage. And a cool use case of that that you know, I hadn't thought of uh, was a few years ago, there was obviously the devastating earthquake in Nepal. And a lot of the aid relief folks called up Planet and used their imagery to find off-grid villages that no one really, that weren't on the map, but basically that needed aid and recovery. So that is a phenomenal use case that is one of these ones where you just would not envision it uh, before you create the data set. What made you invest? Did you immediately understand how important they'd be? Of course, every VC would say that. Yeah. Yes, uh, it was immediately clear to me. Uh, but yeah, we we I toured their facility, and this was before they had launched any satellites into orbit. Uh, it was supposed to be a half hour. Uh, get to know you coffee. I thought there's no way I would, you know, invest in a satellite company. And then three hours later, I stumbled out of their Soma uh, office space, you know, and I, I saw that that was was the future. Became tremendously excited about it, and that's when we uh, Data Collective first invested. I think there is a skill in venture capital in which you realize. This is not a lunatic's plan. There are some, if somebody came to me with Uber and said, hey, here's an idea. You know how everybody's got an iPhone? And it, it, they walked me through it. I'd say, okay, yeah, that's a good investment. And you were an early angel investor in, in Uber. I'd get that. But if somebody said, I'm going to launch 200 satellites into space, I would say, you're a lunatic. It can't be done. But you have to be able to believe that's possible. And it's, it's a really fine line, right, between uh, being overly ambitious and aggressive and, and being less so. And, you know, this kind of goes to the heart of our deep tech investment thesis, where we like to see entrepreneurs solving hard real world problems computationally. Uh, and then you can use these, you know, these technologies to address some thorny, uh, thorny problems facing the global economy. Um, so yeah, over the past 20 years, uh, the way to look at it is that venture capital has supported the development of this massive compute infrastructure. And this has, you know, largely been changed in the IT and internet worlds. Now we feel that, that those technologies that they're mature, these foundational technologies, we can apply those uh, to begin taking runs at some of these these enormous industries that have largely been innovation proof. Give me today. an example of that. What's an industry that we wouldn't have thought, oh, that would really benefit from a lot of computing power? Uh, how about Pivot Bio, which is disrupting the uh, $200 billion synthetic fertilizer industry. Uh, Pivot Bio uh, is in the agriculture space, obviously. And Pivot Bio uses microbes to let row crops, let corn and wheat, fix their own nitrogen. Uh, this, uh, this, this process uh, is more cost-effective than putting synthetic fertilizer on and actually boosts yield. Uh, so it's a huge win from the economic standpoint if you can commercialize this at scale, and they're, they're sort of well on their way to doing that. But also, if you think about the synthetic fertilizer industry, you know, soup to nuts, that produces about 10% of global greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, so it's also a great, uh, great win for the planet, you know, bringing this type of innovation to agriculture. Think about the, just the complexity of the agricultural system. Uh, every day, every, every one of the almost 8 billion people on the planet uh, receives food that was grown uh, or produced in agriculture. So there's this distributed uh, production, is, it's produced sort of around the world, and then also a distributed consumption. So I, the way I think about it is, uh, on rough terms, the ag industry is about 10 times larger and 10 times more complex than the financial industry. 
Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. You just raised a new fund. How much was it? Uh, we just raised uh, $725 million for D DCVC5, uh, which is our fifth fund in our flagship series and is our, our eighth fund overall. What should I read from that? I mean, that's a tremendous amount of money. Is there something that I can conclude beyond, of course, DCVC is well-trusted by the people that give it money, but uh, that the economy ahead is, is solid, that venture capital investment is solid? What do I read in that? At the initial level, this is our LPs, who are almost entirely institutional at this point, uh, agreeing with us that we feel the biggest uh, opportunity facing us is these is the pursuing this deep tech investment thesis, is using uh, novel computational approaches to, to solve some of the world's hardest problems or begin to tackle some of the world's hardest problems. Nobody knows what's ahead in the economy, but... Um what happens to venture capital funding uh, if the economy falters? Does it? Does more money go into venture capital in the sense that, well, clearly I'm not going to get the return I wanted on the stock market. Uh, I'm going to think ahead. And after all, some really big, important Silicon Valley companies were created in downtimes. Uh, have you done this long enough that you understand what the cycle is and, and what will happen to your, you know, your fund six? Um, I feel like historically, yes, things when the econ when the broader economy and the stock market slow down, so does fewer venture dollars flowing around. But as you mentioned, yes, some some phenomenal companies get get started during the downturn. Uh, it's obviously tough to look into a crystal ball and say what the the economic environment will be for Fund Six, uh, but. You know, given that we currently have Fund Five raised, it's actually uh, venture capitalists make money in in times when things are up into the right, as well as in in the downturn. So we're very happy to have this pool of capital to to go after our deep tech investment thesis. And a lot of these thesis areas, like agriculture, uh, are not as uh, susceptible to recessions, uh, and they're a little bit more recession proof. Nothing is entirely recession proof, but. Uh, Regardless of what's going on in the broader economy, we'll just have our heads down, funding our, our deep tech companies and helping them win. As we explore venture capital on this podcast, we found out who the venture capitalists are, where the money comes from, what they do with the money once they've got it. But one listener asks a far more basic question. Where is the money? Like, literally. Where is the, the $725 million? The is it in Wells Fargo? I mean, is it in a bank account? <laughs> I brought it with me. Right. Uh, That's today. my question is, where where is that stack of money? So the way it works is that 
we will issue capital calls to our LPs and call a small percentage of it at a time. And so the, the bulk of that capital uh, at the beginning of the fund is with our, our, our limited partners. Uh, and then by the end of the fund, fund deployment, most of that capital is in companies that we've invested in. Of course, yes, yeah. it goes to the companies. Yeah. But for now, if I'm one of your LPs, I still have the money. I've just made a commitment to That's you a commitment, absolutely. that I'm going to hand it over. Can I, can I walk away from that commitment? Uh, no, it's a contractual com okay. commitment. So even if I think, what are you crazy? You're investing in that. I've committed to the money. Um, absolutely, and there are, you know, it's a it's a very involved legal agreement, a, a long, course, you know, hundred page document. But where there are, you know, means built into that document where they can stop funding if if bad things happen. Sure. Yeah. What's the advantage to me holding on to the money as opposed to it being in an account owned by DCVC at Wells Fargo? Why, why don't you take my money if I've promised it to you? So there are two great reasons for this. One, uh, just security. I would much rather have our professional LPs manage their own dry powder. Uh, but then the more important one is that these guys, you know, as I mentioned, we're almost entirely institutional investors. And the institutional investors have uh, sound manage cash management practices. So they actually... Uh, will have that money invested in short-term securities or wherever and be driving a return on it. And also it's good from an IRR perspective. So obviously our internal rate of return is calculated from the time we call the capital rather than uh, from the time they make the commitment. You, your firm has investments in drugs and nuclear power and agriculture and robots and satellites. That's a, that's a wide range of things. What's the common theme there? At the beginning, a lot of these companies, because you know we like to back entrepreneurs who are solving hard, real-world problems using novel computational approaches. And these computational approaches have sort of self-accreting advantage. So uh, as you build these companies, you start developing, and you probably already have, a proprietary data set. Uh, and then we also like to see that coupled with uh, cutting-edge machine learning algorithms. And the way to think about it is this self-accreting advantage comes about where uh, your data set feeds into the algorithms, strengthening them, which then in turn enriches and makes the data set even more proprietary, and you achieve this virtuous cycle. Um, and I would say that at the beginning, you know, we're very we're early stage investors. We're seed in Series A. So at the beginning, a lot of these companies sometimes look more similar than you would expect because they are sort of iterating on these these novel computational approaches, uh, then they go off and apply them to this, this broad spectrum of industries that you just you just listed, and then they start to, to sort of variegate and, and look more, uh, more diverse. I can say that we're very happy with how Android has worked. One of the big staples of the Android ecosystem is openness, and we think that that's one of the things that's really helped us build an ecosystem that we're very, very proud of. Uh, so we're excited overall about where Android's going, but I can't comment on particular, is, is particular policy issues. That's Marissa Meyer, the former CEO of Yahoo, one of the earliest engineers at Google on our television show Press Here. She's Bogue's decidedly better half. How'd you meet her? Uh, we were introduced by the younger sister of my college roommate. And who chased who? Uh, it was it was pretty mutual. We hit it off. Was it? We hit it off right off right off the bat. Um, and I'm going to ask you a couple more personal questions. Yeah. You let me know if it's getting too personal. It pissed me off when she went back to work after you had had your first child. Mm -hmm. Earlier than some people think she should have. 
We spend so much time saying that women ought to be able to choose what it is they want to do with their careers and their motherhood, et cetera. And then the minute she came back too early in some people's view, I thought that was I thought that was outrageous. That was purely a, a Zach and Marissa decision. Um, absolutely. And, you know, ultimately it was it was very much a, a Marissa decision. And I think, you know, I think it was a it was the right one. And um you know, I think there's always going to be critics of whatever decision you, you make. The Yahoo CEO Marissa Meyer's announcement that she's expecting twins is triggering both congratulations Meyer and criticism. She plans to take only a week or two off. Her critics say she's making a huge mistake. At this yoga class for pregnant women, the conversations turned from prenatal to postnatal. Now that new Yahoo CEO Marissa Meyer says she'll only take a few weeks maternity leave. So you didn't. You didn't take it personally. I did not take it personally. Well, that pissed me off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, there's always going to be detractors out there, and you can't uh, you can't dwell too much on on those folks. And you know, onward and upward. Fair enough. Uh, what was your very first successful investment? So I'll answer that in two parts. So for DCVC, we actually just had a nice validation of one of our early. Uh, very early scale-out compute open-source search uh, investments, uh, and this was Elastic, which went public last fall, uh, which you know sort of returned a, a nice multiple on the entire fund that it was in, um, and it was just sort of a great validation. And sort of the way to think about it is that ten years ago, we we view that the the hard deep tech problem of that time was was scale-out compute, um, a. Uh, a couple of my early earliest in angel investments were uh, we I invested in the first round of Square, uh, which worked out nicely, as well as my my angel investment uh, in Uber. Um, and what I think did you per, what did you uh, see in those companies? What what made you with Square and Uber, in which you said, "Oh, this makes sense." Um, at that, I mean, at those point, it really well with Square. It really was the team because it was uh, it was very early and. Uh, we were in a, at a reception in a sort of I, I think it was just some, a basement uh, basement reception area at a restaurant, and Jack uh, whipped out his phone with the little square thing plugged in, and he said, "Give me your credit card." And he took a credit card, swiped it, and you know it, it worked, and it was pretty 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 magical. So that was when you know I knew I wanted to be in Square. Uh, and then, you know, Uber is is kind of a funny story, and it shows you a little bit about my, uh, you know, I'm trying to be a little self-deprecating, a little bit of my investment acumen. I, uh, for Uber, I, we had the opportunity to invest, and uh, I knew um, my exact thought process was the valuation uh, is outrageous. Uh, I don't know if they, that will ever be able to support that valuation, uh, but it's a company I know I want to be in for bragging rights. <laughs> <laughs> what was the valuation uh, and, at the time? So this was the Series B, and I think okay. it's pretty pretty broadly publicized. The Series B was at three hundred million dollars, which oh, was astound imagine, ooh, yeah, yes, astounding yeah. <laughs> at that time. Um, uh, and it was a good one. I think that also just kind of shows you that uh, you know there's a lot of instinct in investing, and when you sort of perceive excitement both externally as well as inside yourself, that's actually a pretty good pretty good signal. Is there something out there that if somebody walked into your office and said, you know, I'd like to do X, you'd say, good, I was waiting for somebody? Um, 
I feel like there could be a lot more innovation in the nuclear energy space. Um, we have one one phenomenal uh, investment there, uh, as well as an, an, a, a seed investment in another company, neither of which are disclosed, so those are still stealth. Uh, as far as our investments concerned, but yeah, I think that is uh, that's an area where we could have a, a massive amount of additional uh, additional innovation. And the way I think about it is, we are in a climate crisis, as as you guys are uh, are covering. And uh, I feel like nuclear energy is a phenomenal source of zero carbon energy, and we need energy to run the run the economy. And we have really no other. Uh, solution that can provide energy at the scale of, of nuclear. That goes back to that question I had earlier about thinking really big. I mean, it's one thing to to say I'd like to to start an Uber. It's another, hey Zach, I'd like you know a couple hundred million dollars so I can build a nuclear reactor. Absolutely. And yet you said, yep, yeah, okay, here we go, let's do this. Our, we feel that applying these, you know foundational technologies outside of incremental gains in IT is the biggest opportunity out there. Um, and obviously the energy sector is a is a massive one. And uh, if you get it right and you create sort of one of these multi-generational durable juggernauts of a company, uh, that's where, where we feel that you can achieve the greatest venture scale returns. How, who do you rely on to tell you that your nuclear reactor investment is going well. I mean, not the people at the company, because they may not tell you, I'm sure they would tell you the truth, but they might not. But you are not a nuclear engineer. Um, how are you learning enough to know that your investment is being treated well? We have uh, a variety of ways of, of, of evaluating our investments and evaluating prospective investments. Uh, we like to, to say that at, at DCVC, we have more published scientists on our, our team than MBAs. And we, uh, we also have a, a, a broader network of folks that we call equity partners. This is really a, 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 one of our innovations on the venture model. Uh, our equity partners are uh, over 60 deep tech experts in their relative fields um, that provide a tremendous amount of insight for us as we do due diligence, as well as providing assistance and, and insight into our existing companies. Um, and in return, we actually give them a big chunk of the upside of, of each fund. Um, and it's actually not deal by deal carry. So there's a lot of models out there where you give deal by deal carry to, to, to people. Uh, for our equity partners, we actually like they we actually share they share in the broad upside of the fund, um, and then also we we use outside experts uh, as well. You could not be Theranos. Exactly. <laughs> I just made that a verb. <laughs> Zachary Bogue, DC VC. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com. Sand Hill Road is produced by Sean Myers, executive produced by Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. 